We all know what it's like to be in a power struggle. When we're kids, we throw tantrums, but adults have all the power that counts. By the time we're teenagers, we may have the power to negotiate, but not to decide. Imbalances in power are often the elephants in the workplace. They take up a lot of space and oxygen, but we don't talk about them until the struggle amps up. We can work to rule or walk out in unionized workplaces or simply put up or shut up everywhere else. But bargaining power is not only something that workers generate together through unions. Residents can also organize themselves to take a seat at tables where decisions are made about their lives and livelihoods. This is game-changing work. When people step up to elect their representatives or speak for themselves unfiltered, they rebalance power and build up their communities. Communities that usually lose out more often than they win. Racialized and low-income communities in particular. I'm Asma Malik with the Atkinson Foundation. This is Lovers and Fighters, the second podcast series on Atkinson's Just Work It platform for podcasts and events for and by millennial workers. Here we meet people wrestling to hold the line between heart and grit in today's decent work movement. What do workers, especially millennial workers, love enough to fight for? We invite conversations across generations, within sectors, and more to understand and be inspired by the motivations and questions driving their work. I want you to meet some people who are changing the game of urban development by organizing residents to have a say in who benefits from public investments in infrastructure like transit, housing, buildings, and roads. Dusha Sritharan is a community activist working at the intersections between equity and climate change adaptation. Alejandra Bravo has worked for over two decades for progressive social change and is active in the community benefits movement. Here's our conversation. Well, welcome to you both. And I'm just going to start by asking each of you to tell me your full name, your title, and who you work with. And I'm going to start with Dusha. Okay, so my name is Dusha Sridharan. I work for the Toronto Environmental Alliance as the climate change campaigner, but in terms of who I work with, it's really uh, grassroots organizers who are building communities up. And um, where I'm really interested in working with folks is around the intersection with equity and climate change and environmental issues in general. Cool. How about you, Alejandra? I'm Alejandra Bravo. I'm Director of Leadership and Training at the Broadbent Institute, uh, where I work to build a more progressive Canada. And I'm also Director of the Power Lab. And the people I work with are uh, leaders and facilitators in communities who are creating economic and democratic access for historically disadvantaged communities and equity-seeking groups. Well, I want to start off by sharing a little bit about uh, what we love at the Atkinson Foundation, and we really do love music. It is the soundtrack to our work, and we uh, use it definitely to keep us going and keep us motivated and connected as well. So in the theme of Lovers and Fighters, what's your fight song? Uh, the song that really inspires me is called Manifesto by um, Victor Jara, who was killed after the military coup. Um, mine might be a little cliche, but I'm going to go with Eye of the Tiger. So there's days at work where I have to listen to that to get me pumped up. Well, we love that. When we were kind of riffing on what our fight songs would be, it definitely came up. But I feel like we have a new one to add to our repertoire. Um, so community benefits are something that we're hearing a lot about in light of historic commitments to public infrastructure investments and something that we'll be talking quite a bit about today, too. At Atkinson, we see it as an important tool for building an economy that works for everyone. So I do want to ask each of you, what do community benefits mean to you? And community benefits can be so literal 
referral, right? It's like a thing that is good for your community, so you call it a community benefit, which isn't necessarily the way uh, that we're talking about it today or as a policy or an organizing uh, tool, right? Is there one, maybe two sentences about what community benefits are? Yeah, I would say that people who have a development in their area um, have a say in how that's going to um, affect their community and that they're going to be able to have, have access to economic opportunity, a job, uh, an improvement, a child care center, as long as it's determined by the community itself and it's uh, negotiated. And Yeah, and I think, I mean, adding on to that, again, this is a tool, this is something that people have practiced before, but I do think one of the key things is having that seat at the table and also a form of ownership over that project. And, you know, it's not necessarily in literal terms, but it means that the community at the end of the day can walk away and say, we got these things that we wanted, and it helps them somehow improve quality of life in their community. That's great. And so you're both dedicated to progressive social change. Dusha, uh, for as long as I've known you, you've brought your passion for environmental and social justice issues to your work, to your study, and to your activism for years now. And Alejandra, you have a long history of experience organizing in grassroots, immigrant, and labor groups. And now you're both active in building a fairer economy with community benefits as a key tool. I want to ask you both, how would you describe what you love enough to be fighting for now? For me, the the thing that I love, um, the thing that really moves me is when, you know, when people who have been historically excluded and marginalized um, for their race, for their income, for for wherever it is that they come from, you know, they find that that experience of struggle and sometimes trauma can actually be a resource. And, and it's a resource because it's a source of courage. And when you're able to tell that story as a story of courage, I think it inspires in another, in a, in a peer, in your neighbor, the courage to to also, you know, find that find that um, experience of struggle. Um, and that's how you build a relationship, you know. The re- and that relationship generates power. So. For me, the the thing that I love is that moment, the recognition in someone's eyes that everything I've gone through, my experience is actually the thing that I'm going to use to build a better life for myself. That, That is the magic for me. I think for me, it's also just bringing my own love for the people around me and seeing those stories reflected in the wider community. So growing up, you know, my parents still own a small business in Scarborough. So for me, you know, there's so many other immigrant families or um, groups that I see, you know, young people that I can relate to who've shared similar experiences. And I think it's seeing that, seeing my own experiences reflected in the community beyond me and seeing how bringing people together, affecting change, that's really what motivates me. And could you describe a moment where you realized that love and realized it enough that you wanted to fight for it, that you wanted to dedicate yourself to furthering, you know, what you described to us? Going through even university and then later on doing environmental organizing, realizing that a lot of the rooms I walked into did not show the diversity that I saw in the city. And there weren't a lot of people who looked like me. So it was interesting and challenging because I'm like, there's people who are being really impacted by climate change in our city right now. I mean, you don't have to look far. 
just look at the heat we're dealing with and how people are talking about, you know, baking inside of their homes. But those are not the people who are engaged in conversations about climate change. And so for me, it became a problem of, you know, we're talking about solutions, we're talking about how to move forward and deal with these problems, but we're not actually talking to the people who are being directly impacted. And so for me, it was, you know, bringing my own interests around environmentalism, equity, but also engagement. How do we do engagement better? And so that's, you know, something that really brought the drive out in me. And was there a moment for you where you realized your your deep love, the, the love that uh, that drives your fight? Yeah, it's a very, it's a personal uh, moment. Um, you know, my I came to Canada because of a military coup in Chile uh, when I was three years old. And my parents had been fierce social justice warriors, you know, and that's why we had to leave the country. And I, I went to immediately, my mom started working here. I went to a daycare, you know, the little cots where um, the, the, the children sleep during a daycare. I was asleep in one of those cots and I could feel um, that someone was touching my ear and I woke up, but I knew enough not to open my eyes and to pretend to be sleeping. And the daycare worker took out my gold hoop and then I pretended to be asleep, and she took the other one. And this was a real treasure because it's the last gift I got before I left the country from my aunt. Um, so I went home um, that night, and I told my parents what had happened. And uh, guess what they did? You know, they did nothing. These people that had been willing to risk their lives had lost their voice completely. My dad, because he didn't speak English, but my mom also because she didn't feel like she could um, you know, make a complaint. She felt vulnerable. And that to me was the moment as a small child that I realized that everybody has a voice and that I wanted to fight for the rest of my life to make sure that nobody ever lost their voice. And um, I got to experience that as a, you know, as my daughter was born in the school system, helping other parents find their voice, even if they couldn't speak English, to fight against education cuts. And I think that's for me the thing that drives me and why um, supporting leadership development is so um, part of my DNA. That's really powerful. Thank you for sharing that. I'm gonna, I do want to ask a little bit about your, your work. You're both working on some really specific and immediate and exciting projects. And Dusha, as a campaigner at T, as you mentioned, uh, you work at the intersections of climate justice and decent work. I would say uniquely placed at those intersections. And recently you authored a report for T with a number of community partners, and it was called Climate Solutions That Work, Bringing Community Benefits and Climate Action Together, and just had a chance to, to flip through that uh, over the the last several days. Why was it urgent to bring these two movements together in the interests of decent work? So I think we're at an interesting time where, I mean, not just in the city, but, you know, around the world, we're seeing climate change as well as poverty and growing inequity um, as two of the biggest challenges we face. And so for me, I was like, well, no one's taking these conversations and joining them as one because they are related, right? Like we have to respond to climate change. We're seeing people in our city be impacted. I think there's a false sense of security sometimes of, you know, there are more immediate threats in other communities in terms of flooding, um, you know, if you're on a, in a coastal environment or wildfires. But in Toronto, you're like, oh, maybe we're not being impacted. 
But actually, when you look at it, um, in Toronto, extreme heat, there are storms that are impacting people. But we're not talking about, you know, how can solutions also be an opportunity for employing people, for bringing in renewable energy projects, we're building um, public transit. Those are jobs, right? Who, who are getting those jobs? And again, bringing back to the initial co- like question I was asking, who's being left out of those conversations? Who's being left out of those opportunities? And how do we make sure, especially for equity-seeking groups, that they're front and center in these conversations? And for you, was it a feeling that, that the bringing together of these two conversations was long overdue? Absolutely. I mean, we've gone through many processes. The city of Toronto developed a climate change plan and they were starting to have these conversations, but it also feels like I'm a bit of a broken record Um, trying to really seed this in as many conversations as possible and talk about, you know, if you're going to like I, I use it as two opportunities. If there's a conversation happening on um, poverty-related issues, I go there and talk about climate change and why it's related. And then if it's a climate change, you know, discussion, I'm there talking about why we need to consider equity as part of it. So for me, it's kind of amazing even within two years seeing how those connections are being made. And you know, this year is part of. Um, budget deputation processes, we had people coming out and talking about these issues in a connected way, which has never happened before. And then counselors even, you know, mentioning that and saying, yeah, we're hearing people make these connections. So for me, this report comes at such a timely uh, opportunity to really take advantage of that and talk about connecting how we, you know, find solutions to the many problems we're facing. How did you find communities were grounding their work at a local level? And is there one example that you can share that kind of illustrates that most powerfully? So there is a lot of work actually happening in Toronto as well, but our um, research looked at, you know, case studies across North America as well as some in Europe. Um, But one of the ones that really stood out to me was actually out of California and it's an organization called Grid Alternatives. Um, And they're tackling energy poverty in an interesting way because they're actually going into low-income communities and doing free or very low-cost solar installations and in the process training folks from those communities in this industry. And it's booming in the States, right? It's growing at such a rapid pace. So now you're training up people who are facing barriers to employment to actually um, access a growing job market in, you know, a renewable source of power, right? So it's just bringing all of these pieces together. Um, And I think there's some interesting work that at a local organization building up is doing here in Toronto, training up folks who are specifically from equity-seeking groups to take advantage of some of the opportunities that are coming up with the Eglinton Crosstown and other developments in the city. And I just feel like the more we talk about it, the more excitement we can build and actually seed these and um, grow more support for these types of opportunities as well here in Toronto. Just I wanted to comment on, on, on that because I think it's really important to have one connected conversation around climate, economy, racial justice, democratic access. And what I, what I find it excite, exciting about it is that it starts with the experience of people who've been left out. It centers and it, and it makes a priority, like a, making a material difference in people's lives so that they can see that their li- the quality of life is improving when they come together to work toward that end. And I think that the biggest payoff for that is that we work across our these artificial divisions that are really, you know, conveniently keeping people apart and and demobilizing them. Um, and ultimately, I think what that does is build resilience against messages that would seek to divide us. And I think that we are in a time where there's a lot of messages out there that want you know to pit um, 
groups, one group against the other, um, and and the and you know to to compete for resources or for attention. And I, and I think this approach where we talk about improving people's lives in, in a real way is a is a message of solidarity. And the best way to fight against division or hate is solidarity. To that point, that's a great place for us to uh, turn to some of the work that you're uh, getting set to launch, Alejandra. You're getting ready to launch a really exciting initiative that I'm very uh, excited about called the Power Lab. It's a new leadership learning initiative focused on local organizing for a fair economy, which brings together leaders from eight cities across Canada. And from all the work that you've done and the experience that you have, why this particular initiative right now? Well, I think that we, we're all clear that inequality has grown and it's lived by real people living in a community, in a neighborhood, um, and that it's, it's so many pieces, lack of transit, the, you know, precarious work, uh, lack of affordable housing, lack of services. Uh, but the very people that are experiencing these conditions also know what the solutions are. They know their reality, and they're a real resource um, of power for, for changing those conditions. Um, so starting from that experience, if we can you know, build action based on the dreams and hopes of the people that are most affected by inequality and the lack of decent work, um, we have a lot of... Um, you know, a horizon that's that's great for, for making real sustained change. And so the, the purpose of the Power Lab is to generate um, economic and, and democratic power for people who've been historically um, excluded, disadvantaged, and are equity-seeking. It's to learn collaboratively from the real organizers and facilitators who are on the ground bringing people together to um, respond to economic development opportunities, um, to do it in a genuine way. It means that you know, we don't have all the answers, so we have to work, learn from each other. Strategies that people are developing locally that are working, um, let's share them. We will know that we are succeeding when communities who've been excluded, when people who've been excluded have a permanent seat at the table, are able to say um, economic development activity I have a stake in that. I have a stake in infrastructure investment. Uh, the way it rolls out, you know, I get to be at the decision-making table. Um, these are the real benefits that we're going to fight for and that people's lives are materially changed, you know, in a, in a real way that you can see, you can feel, you can touch. The recent uh, victory at Toronto City Council for a community benefit agreement or the basis for an agreement um, for the Woodbine Casino. And that why this is so exciting is that this is... Um, Rexdale rising, right? This is uh, Rexdale is a community that you know is the prototype for um, um, a community that has poor transit, lack of um, access to jobs, uh, lack of affordable housing, a huge gap in services, uh, highly uh, racialized, high proportion of people living with low income. Um, it's even it's far from civic spaces. It's isolated. Um, and out of this community comes a 10-year effort um, with real people from the neighborhood who've been saying, you know what, we, you can talk about expanding this casino, but we need to have some, some benefits coming out of it. We need to make sure that um, expanded gambling, we're going to be protected from that on the social uh, side. And um, we want to see our people from this neighborhood getting jobs um, operating uh, the hotel uh, we need training. We need childcare, and 
it the exciting thing is that it worked, you know, and even the what had been proposed um, in a city staff report uh, just wasn't enough. People demanded more. Um, you know, Acorn organizers and leaders were out knocking on doors. Um, they said, we want childcare as part of this plan. And that was changed at council. On the floor of council, people asserted themselves. And there will be more childcare. There will be more jobs. Um, I think it's it's an example for communities all across Canada um, that the, the deficits that we see, the things that we don't have, are often a resource for the big fights that we can win. So, yeah, that's pretty exciting. That's very exciting. And, you know, all the things that you mentioned, the, the training pieces, the child care, that is building and strengthening decent work in our city. And I think you've mentioned it, both of you, that who we do that work with is so crucial and it makes such a difference. So I'm going to put to you, if you were to create a rock star group of community benefits organizers, who would be a part of that band, let's say, and and why? I think I'm constantly amazed to learn about some of the really exciting projects that are happening here in Toronto. So there's work, you know, through ACORN um, to actually organize community around some of these community benefits. And they were really active on the Rexdale Rising work. Um, the East Scarborough Storefront is talking about creating an uh, East End Trades Training Centre and how that will help create opportunities for equity-seeking groups in that community to um, be employed and trained. You know, there's work happening in Parkdale that's so exciting, actually doing community benefits 101 workshops. Like, that's the thing. Like, understanding development processes, all of this work, there's so many different pieces to this. So for me, that's so exciting. And I think I had the opportunity to do the trip with the Atkinson Foundation, actually going over to the States and, you know, seeing these like diverse, broad coalitions, bringing together groups that work on very different issues. I think that's what we're striving for. We don't want it to be just community benefits organizers. We're talking multiple issues, you know, multiple levels um, and really bringing people together around, you know, shared goals and values. To continue to build that rock star theme, you know, that approach like that Dusha was talking about, for example, the Parkdale People's Economy, which is saying, like, let's have a big picture vision for the economy. Um, and everybody's building that vision. I, I also want to name ACORN because ACORN members and organizers are knocking on doors in Hamilton. And, you know, they're having these conversations in Ottawa. They were in, they're involved in Toronto. They're doing it, so we can do it here. And I want to ask you both, what keeps you in the fight? How do you keep a love, the love alive? How do you feed it? How do you sustain yourself in this work? For me, actually, the thing that always gets me really motivated is, is actually being out in community and at meetings where people get excited about these issues. And I feel like, for me sharing that love with others and like being able to see other people excited or even talking to people who are actually being directly impacted by some of these issues we're talking about it makes it that fight for me way more important and also continues to motivate me to go out there and talk to more people and keep you know in some ways you're like am i am i wasting my time some of these fights take a long time like rexel rising we're talking 10 years of work of people coming together doing that so you have to be committed and to sustain that type of commitment i think you need to keep getting inspired from stories around you so it's it's that hopeful side that really keeps me going yeah i i agree that you know the change taking a long time and but seeing the people that stick with it 
um, that are so clear that they have a role to play in their community, a leadership role to help other people raise their expectations. Um, and Rexdale is a great example of that. I was at a meeting on Friday where people were talking about what's next. And there are some, you know, there are a handful of people that were there at the first meeting uh, 10 years ago. For me, what sustains me is that I think that helping people, organizers, facilitators uh, from behind the scenes to be more confident, to be more effective, to learn, to learn from their peers. Um, I feel like we're getting stronger. You know, we're, we can create a, a web and a network that's resilient enough that, you know, with the changing tides of the economy or change of government, um, we'll be able to resist that, you know, and we'll, we'll emerge stronger. And I, I can feel when the capacity is, is growing in, a, in, a, in an individual and, and therefore in a community, um, you know, it just, it's like, it's like the sun. That's really beautiful. Thank you both. And now I'm just going to take us into our last segment. It's a segment called Love or Fight. And it goes like this. I'll say a thing. And then you, you both, rapid fire, will tell me whether you love it or you'd fight it. P3s, love it or fight it? Fight it. Fight it. I think that um, infrastructure should be publicly accountable and, and, and controlled by, by the public with, um, in a democratic and open process where um, society as a whole can benefit. Yeah, and I mean, I think this is, again, having that piece of community being part of the process, having a say. So I completely agree. You need to make sure that, you know, it's public when we're spending our dollars. Green roofs. Love it, fight it. Love. Love. <laughs> Do we have enough in this city? No. 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 And the bylaws are not enforced well enough, but that's for another day. <laughs> uh, and our final one, trendy neighborhood names. Love it or fight it. I gotta fight that. I think it's it, it's always a group that emerges as a dominant group, or you know, people that are comfortable with claiming that name um, that are gonna come out on top, and it really obscures like the diversity of the history in a local neighborhood. Yeah, I'm gonna agree with that because I mean, I'm from Scarborough, and so often people will be like, "What neighborhood in Scarborough?" Though, and I'm like, I don't know because everyone just says Scarborough all the time. So I feel like it's a very downtown versus you know inner suburbs type of thing. So you don't get enough names sometimes in other areas. So I, I would fight it. I'm sure we can find someone to 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 name all the Scarborough neighborhoods. <laughs> I don't know if, I'd if like that the was names. a task. Um, <laughs> Thank you so much to you both. Where can our listeners find you? So you can follow us um, at T.O. Enviro on Facebook, um, Instagram, Twitter. Um, and also, if you want to check out our website where the report is, it's www.torontoenvironment.org. Personally, I'm at Bravo Toronto on Twitter and uh, my work um, at powerlab.ca or broadbentinstitute.ca. Reach out. That's great. Thank you so much. The thing about power is that some people think it's given, while others think it's taken. Some want power over others, not to work alongside them. I think power is something everyone already has. We're born with it, although it's unequally distributed from the start. We become much more powerful when we pool it and use it to lift each other up. But this doesn't just happen. It takes community organizers like Alejandra and Dusha who know how to pull people together around shared values and big dreams. 
They're working with Atkinson on a new project called the Power Lab. You can learn more about it in our show notes. I was drawn into organizing when I was a university student. My first experience of this kind of power came when we organized on campus for lower tuition fees, and we won a freeze instead. Now, 10 years later, the stakes are even higher. The livelihoods of whole communities depend on getting the power equation right, in renewing the physical and social infrastructure of our cities, and drawing in everybody who has been left out of the blueprints in the past. It's been said that power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice, and justice at its best is correcting everything that stands in the way of love. Power in the service of justice and love, now that's worth fighting for. Thanks for listening. Lovers and Fighters is produced by Vocal Fry Studios and hosted by me, Asma Malik, with additional support from Nora Cole. You can find our show notes at atkinsonfoundation.ca slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at AtkinsonCF and on Instagram at JustWorkIt underscore. Subscribe to our Just Work It platform on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud so you never miss an episode. And your positive ratings and comments ensure that other people can find us too. We love hearing from you. Get in touch with us on social media or at JustWorkIt at AtkinsonFoundation.ca.